0: And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Wednesday is July the 14th, 195th day of the year. 170 days remain till the year is over with. The um, holidays and observances... National Break Free from the Big Three Day. National French Fry Day. I can get behind that one. National Mac and Cheese Day. Pandemonium Day. Bastille Day. Um, it's also Bastille Day in St. Martin. Collector Car Appreciation Day. Emmeline Pankhurst Day. For those that are not familiar with her, and I was one, the life of uh, my parkhurst uh, is celebrated because of her fight for equal rights for women suffragettes. That's voters, for those of you with a classic education. She was an English political political activist. Her actions directly resulted in women getting voting rights in July 1928. She's criticized by historians because she <clears throat> her many militant actions died in June of 28 before seeing her dream come to fruition. Her massive political campaigns resulted in the overall empowerment of women in the UK. The Fete de la Federation, International Non Binary People's Day, please, uh, Kebab Day. Matariki, uh, it's a holiday in New Zealand, National Be Nice to Bugs Day, National Grand Mariner Day, uh, National Jelly Day, National Marco Day, National Motorcycle Day, go out and ride one today, National Nude Day, uh, that's a day I like to see national Reese day national tape measure day and shark awareness day the uh apparently there have been a lot of issues with sharks last year or two okay in 982 king out of his frankish army defeated by the muslim army of uh, al-qasim at uh, cape uh, colonna in southern italy 1223, Louis VIII becomes King of France on the death of his father, Philip II. 1420, Battle of Vitkov Hill. That was a victory for Czech Hussite forces commanded by Jan Zizka against a Crusade army led by Sigismund, the Holy Roman Emperor. 1430, Joan of Arc, taken by the Burgundians and May, is handed over to Pierre Cauchon, the Bishop of. Bove Islands. You no, know, women wore men's clothing. Certainly was evil in the eyes of the church. And that's really all that counted. Fifteen ninety six, Anglo Spanish War. English and Dutch troops sacked the Spanish city of Cadiz before they left the next day. Seventeen sixty nine, the expedition led by Gaspar de Portola leaves its base in San Diego and sets out to find the port of Monterey, which is now Monterey, California. I uh, had to go there for a meeting, lost all my luggage. Uh, airlines never did find it. 1771, foundation of the Mission San Antonio de Padua in modern California by the Franciscan friar Junipero Serra. 1789, storming of the Bastille in Paris, and an event escalates the widespread discontent into the French Revolution. Bastille Day is still celebrated annually in France, and that led directly to the murder of the royal family. 1790, inaugural, fête de la Fédération, is how uh, to celebrate unity of the French people and the national reconciliation. 1791, beginning of the Priestley Riots in Birmingham, targeting Joseph Priestley as a supporter of the French Revolution. 1798, the Sedition Act of 1798 becomes law in the U.S., making it a federal crime to write, publish, or utter false or malicious statements about the United States government. You know, frankly, today that would put three quarters of the population in prison. 1808, the Finnish War, the hell with the First Amendment, the Battle of Lapua is fought. 1853 opening of the first major U.S. World's Fair, the exhibition of the industry of all nations in New York City. 1865, the first descent of the Matterhorn is completed by Edward Wimper and his party, four of whom die in the descent. 1874, the Chicago Fire of 1874 burns down 47 acres of the city, destroys 812 buildings, kills 20 people, and results in the fire insurance industry demanding municipal reforms from Chicago City Council. 1881. American outlaw Billy the Kid is shot and killed by Sheriff Pat Gallant in the Maxwell House at Fort uh, Sumner, New Mexico. However, if you read my book, The Border Escapades of Billy the Kid, he may not have shot Billy the Kid, in fact, may have helped him escape to a new life. In 1900, Armies of the Eight-Nation Alliance capture Tenzin during the Boxer Rebellion. Uh, 1902, the night in St. Mark's Square, Venice, collapses, almost demolishing the La 1911, Harry Atwood, an exhibitor, exhibition pilot for the Wright Brothers, is greeted by President Taft after he lands his airplane on the south lawn of the White House. He flew all the way from Boston without any mail service. 1915, beginning of the McMahon Hussein correspondence between Hussein bin Ali, Sharif of Mecca, and the British official Henry McMahon concerning the Arab revolt against the Ottoman Empire. 1916, saw the Battle of Delville Wood begin as an action within the Battle of the Somme and lasted until September 3, 1916. 1933, in a decree called the Gleichsaltung, Adolf Hitler abolishes all German political parties except the Nazis. Also in 1933, the Nazi eugenics program begins with the proclamation of the law for the prevention of hereditary diseased offspring. It requires the compulsory sterilization of any citizen who suffers from a, any alleged genetic disorders. Doesn't have to prove it, just has to allege it. 1943, in Diamond, Missouri, the George Washington Carver National Monument becomes the first United States national monument known over an African American. 1948, Palmiro Tagliati, leader of the Italian Communist Party, shot and wounded near the Italian Parliament. 1950. Korean War, beginning of the Battle of Taijon, 1951. Ferrari takes her first Formula One Grand Prix victory at the British Grand Prix in Silverstone. 1957, Roya Ataya takes her seat in the National Assembly of Egypt. Becoming the first female parliamentarian in the Arab world. 1958, July 14th, revolution in Iraq. The monarchy is overthrown by popular forces led by Abd al-Karim Qasim, who becomes the nation's new leader. 1960, Jane Goodall arrives at the Gomba Stream Reserve in present-day Tanzania to begin her study of chimpanzees in the wild. Nineteen sixty, Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 111 ditches off Palilo Island in the Philippines, kills one, injured forty-four. Nineteen sixty five, Mariner four flyby Mars takes the first close up photos of another planet. Photographs take about six hours to be transmitted back to Earth. Nineteen eighty three, Mario Brothers is released in Japan, beginning the popular Super Mario Brothers franchise. 2002, French President Jacques Chirac escapes an assassination attempt from Maxime Bruneri during a Bastille Day Parade at uh, Champs-Élysées. 2013, dedication of the statue of Rachel Carson, a sculpture named for the environmentalist in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. 2015, NASA's New Horizons probe performs the first flyby at Pluton. thus completes the initial survey of the solar system. And in 2016, a man plows a truck into a Bastille Day celebration in East France, kills 86, and injures another 434 before he was shot by police. And he couldn't understand why they wanted to shoot him. Well, we've been talking about another theory about the Kennedy assassination. Now, I had somebody ask me yesterday, why well, anybody would care about the Kennedy assassination. That happened happen in 1963. That's old news. Well, in actuality, it's important because it was a very clear coup d'etat orchestrated by elements within the U.S. government. And the groups that were involved are still active today. Uh, this current theory that I'm discussing has to do with uh, the Federal Reserve perhaps being the uh, Motivated force. You know, a lot of people are curious about the role the Federal Reserve plays in everyday life, and uh, they're increasingly uh, impatient with the lack of transparency that's been the calling card of the Federal Reserve since its inception. Now, there was allegedly an uh, audit of the Federal Reserve in 2011, but um, It was under very strict guidelines. And could the U.S. operate without the Federal Reserve? Oh, yes. It's been done before. It could be done again. But in order to do this, there had to be a a shift in how Americans see the facilitation of money and monetary policy in this country. We've had a central bank since 1913, and the same families have controlled it since its inception. And the U.S. dollar has been entirely disengaged from any sort of hard-money standard since 1971. Right now, we have what's known as fiat money. It's money because the government says it's money. Now, of course, there are several alternatives to a central banking system. Ours is not called a central bank. Oh, no, we wouldn't do that. We have a Federal Reserve. Um, one alternative is known as free banking. And under a free banking system, there would be no safeguards to the banks, either by virtue of a central banking authority from which they could borrow money or any sort of deposit insurance. The paper currency issued would reflect a promise to pay on the basis of an established hard money scale. Banks would have to advertise and be just like any other business. An examination of a free banking system um uh, make it clear that the central bank is not really necessary. Now in what the central bank has to do with the the assassination, Joseph Kennedy, JFK's father, had a debilitating stroke in December nineteen sixty one. And he lost the ability to speak as a result of aphasia, which is the same thing that affected Bruce Willis. And many believe that with the failing health of his father, JFK stepped out of his shadow and actually became a real president. Now, there's little doubt John Kennedy was considered about that powers it be to be too young, too inexperienced, undeserving of the office of president. And he surely faced great disdain from those 10 or 20, from those who were 10 or 20 years his senior. Much like Lyndon I'm going to be King Johnson, the establishment would find it tough to accept this kid sitting in the Oval Office. And what made him palatable to the decades entrenched politicians and bureaucrats was, uh, his pliability because of that youth I mean you can imagine what he had to deal with sitting across the table from Ellen Dulles or J. Edgar Hoover now one example of what is clearly his lack of independence was the Bay of Pigs fiasco Now, it's very clear he wouldn't have come up with that plan on his own, and despite the fact that uh, it was conceived uh, during the Eisenhower administration and orchestrated by Richard Nixon, he could have pulled the plug on it when he took office, but he didn't, and he paid the price. Later discovered the CIA had misled him about critical facts of the operation. As a result, he was left holding the bag and looking like an idiot. And he was angry with the Bay of Pigs fiasco. He fired CIA Director Alan Dulles and his entire staff, and he was going to dismantle the agency. he pissed off the Washington power structure to a great degree and will continue to do so regularly. After his father was out of the picture, he didn't have to go along to get along anymore. He was the president. And there are many people who believe the issuance of Executive Order 11110 was the beginning of a move by Kennedy to bring a change to the monetary system that could have ended the Federal Reserve or, as a minimum, greatly reduced its power. The idea of circumventing the Fed was striking at maybe the most entrenched bureaucracy and power structure in the world. Now, the CIA, of course, has been considered a prime suspect by dozens of assassination theorists. Agencies considered by many to be a government within the government. Some even go further and suggest the CIA and its power structure actually supersede the elected government. It's secretive and powerful, but uh, more is known about it than we know about the Federal Reserve. Now, the CIA has a top-secret budget, but it still has to answer to select members of Congress for its expenditures. And the current nominee to head the Federal Reserve is staunchly against any audit of the Fed. Can you imagine what would happen to a, a citizen if they refused to, an audit request by the IRS? But the folks that run the, the Fed are alone them to themselves. And there's also a belief that the Federal Reserve and the financial elite have had unquestionable historical ties to the CIA. And due to the secretive nature of the expenditures of the agency, their financial inflow and outflows are not only top secret, but incredibly murky. And since the Federal Reserve has never opened its books up to a complete audit, um, it's very possible there are covert-off-the-book funding mechanisms for the CIA. As a result, many researchers believe that any Kennedy assassination theory that involves the CIA could also involve the financial elite. as called conspirators. Now, there's another very seldom discussed issue of contention between Kennedy and the financial elite, and that was his plan to curtail or eliminate the depletion allowance. That was an enormous tax subsidy to the oil industry. I mean, big oil was lending. I'm going to be King Johnson's number one constituency. So there was a great deal of animosity between Kennedy and Johnson. And many of the same elite uh, would have ties to both banking and oil. Dallas, a city run by big oil in the 60s, would provide more potential reasons to suspect the financial elite. There was a Rasmussen poll taken in November of 2013, concluding more than 74% of Americans want an audit of the Federal Reserve. Now, Not only does the Federal Reserve stand firmly against the notion of an audit, they've hired lobbyists to canvass lawmakers to prevent any such legislation from being passed. They control completely and totally our entire monetary system. They don't have any accountability, and unlike other public institutions, they're not required to open their financial books and records. This is the group that determines what you pay on a mortgage loan, how much interest, how much you earn on a certificate of deposit, the value of every dollar in your pocket. The Fed was granted a license to steal by having the unfettered ability to increase the amount of money in circulation, which translates directly to a decrease in value of each and every dollar. And the Federal Reserve gets a free pass in the media, even among conservatives. If you called... uh, Rush Limbaugh, who I had the opportunity to know, or Sean Hannity, or any other mainline conservative talk show and try to get uh, talk about the issue of auditing the Federal Reserve or ask a question about its constitutionality, you'll never get on the air. And if you do, you'll be hung up on. VA loves to do that to me when I try to ask a basic question about benefits. Well... If you ask the question, who killed Kennedy, the list of suspects is endless. And while he may have been a shooter, it's clear that Lee Harvey Oswald was not a lone nut gunman. We've been lied to and paid the liars to lie to us. Now, there's no question John Kennedy left a trail of angry people behind him, all of whom had ample motives for murder. But it is odd that left out of that list of suspects is the power structure behind the Federal Reserve. Now, it's very likely it was a vast conspiracy that set out to kill Kennedy. It's impossible to know how wide a circle of insiders knew of the details, but uh, most people believe Washington power structure had agreed on what needed to be done about Kennedy. He would have won a second term without doubt. There were enough um, starry-eyed believers in Camelot to put him back in office. And who knows what he might try to do in a second term especially if he won by a big enough margin to have gotten what he considered a mandate from the voters. And it is believed by many that an inner circle existed that was aware of the details of the assassination, and there was an outer circle comprised of those with basic awareness, but also with the benefit of enough distance between themselves and the operational aspects of the plan so as to maintain plausible deniability. when you come firmly to grip with the financial elite theory you'd have to agree we're no longer living in the constitutional republic created by our founding fathers and they're clearly have been ongoing debates though never in the mainstream media, about the very constitutionality of the Federal Reserve. And while these arguments are certainly well-intended, most miss the central issue. The central bank in its current form is too independent to be part of our political system. There is no checks and balances involved with the Federal Reserve. They have to be abolished and reined in, not only for the survival of our democratic society, but for the survival of our economic system as well. Well, of course, detractors to this position will immediately start screaming just another silly conspiracy theory. The dark, shadowy, secret inner workings of the Federal Reserve. The meetings of the Bilderbergers, which was, uh, in fact, their very existence was denied until recently. The New World Order that that, um, George Bush loved to talk about. The World Bank. International Monetary Fund. uh, National Security Apparatus that records every telephone call you make. April 27, 1961 John Kennedy made a speech in New York City at the Waldorf Astoria. He said, we're opposed around the world by a monolithic, reluthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covert means of expanding its sphere of influence. And he talked about the fact that um, this shadowy group Operates in complete secrecy with the assistance of the media, I might add. There's a lot of folks who believe that John Kennedy was the last true autonomous president of the U.S. And each president, since Kennedy, has promised change, but then fall in line with the, the demands of the Washington power structure after they realize they can't fight it. Ask yourself how much authority truly resides in the office of the presidency. Our current president's doing real good to get on an airplane without falling down. Between his wife and his aides, he's told what to say and when to say it and how to say it. Now, in any murder, you look at who stood to gain the most. And, of course, that was Lyndon. I'm going to be King Johnson. However, if you look at all the facts and what Kennedy was setting out to do, not only who stood to gain, but what organization had both the most to gain and the most to lose. And that was without question the Federal Reserve. Their unchecked power, their arrogance, lack of transparency, unconstitutional secret. Makes it clear that little has changed since 1963. Well, it's uh, interesting to note that um, in spite of rumors to the contrary, the Federal Reserve is deeply involved in every financial aspect there is. From money laundering to manipulation of currency. Without the Federal Reserve, it couldn't be done. Well, We talked about the House Select Committee on Assassination and their determination that Kennedy was probably killed as a result of a conspiracy. But golly gee whiz, we don't know who was involved or anything else. But they did list some of the details that led to this conclusion. First, they concluded Lee Harvey Oswald with a crappy bolt-action rifle, fired three shots at President Kennedy. Second and third shots he fired hit the President. The first one missed. Third shot actually killed the President. They concluded he was struck by two rifle bullets fired from behind, even though an entry wound was in the front and an exit wound was in the back. But thanks to uh, Gerald Ford and Earl Specter, the position of the wounds were moved and the magic bullet theory was adopted. The shots that struck President Kennedy from behind were fired from the six four one floor window of the southeast corner of the Texas School Book Depository. And they concluded Lee Harvey Oswald owned the rifle that was used to fire the shots from the six four one floor window of the southeast corner. And they concluded Lee Harvey Oswald shortly before the assassination had access to and was present on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository Building. Now, this decision was reached despite the fact a number of witnesses saw him in the break room drinking a soda. Now, scientific acoustical evidence established a high probability that there were two gunmen who fired at President Kennedy. And other evidence does not preclude that possibility. The committee believed, on the basis of the evidence available to it, that President Kennedy was probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. They keep coming back to that. The committee believed, on the basis of the evidence, that the Soviet government was not involved. Well, nobody ever said they were, except Lyndon, I'm going to be King Johnson. He had to point the American people at somebody else. They also determined that the Cuban government wasn't involved. They also believed that the anti-Castro-Cuban groups weren't involved in the assassination even though the evidence did not preclude individuals within that group being involved. They also concluded that organized crime wasn't involved. They also concluded the Secret Service, the FBI, and the CIA were not involved. They went out to clear as many people as they could. Now, they did conclude President Kennedy didn't get adequate protection. They also concluded that the Warren Commission's investigation into the possibility of a conspiracy was inadequate. Everybody acted in good faith, but they just frankly didn't know what they were doing was the end result. The Secret Service was deficient in its performance of its duties. The Secret Service possessed information that was not properly analyzed investigated or used by the Secret Service in connection with the President's trip and Secret Service agents in the motorcade were inadequately prepared to protect the president from a sniper. And, as if that wasn't enough cover, responsibility of the Secret Service to investigate the assassination was terminated when the FBI assumed primary investigative responsibility. But they then went on to determine the Department of Justice failed to exercise initiative in supervising and directing the investigation by the FBI, and the FBI performed with varying degrees of competency in the fulfillment of its duties. They also said that the FBI inadequately investigated Lee Harvey Oswald prior to the assassination and properly evaluated the evidence it possessed to assess his potential to endanger the public safety in a national emergency. Everything, no matter what they came up with, they kept circling back, Lee Harvey Oswald, Lee Harvey Oswald. Then they went on to determine the FBI conducted a thorough and professional investigation into the responsibility of Lee Harvey Oswald for the assassination, even though it's come out that they covered up the fact he was a government agent. Now, after saying they did a thorough and professional investigation, the committee came back and said, well, they failed to investigate adequately the possibility of a conspiracy. And it was deficient in sharing of information with other agencies. CIA was deficient in its collection and sharing of information. And the Warren Commission performed varying degrees of competency in fulfilling its duties. Then they went on to say that the Warren Commission conducted a thorough and professional investigation into the responsibility of Lee Harvey Oswald for the assassination. How they could say that when it started with the conclusion Oswald did it and then backed into it, so to speak? Well, now after the House Select Committee on Assassinations closed down, it issued a report and made most of the documents that it based its report on classified or unavailable to the public. One of the more revealing points to come out in the 2017 file release by JFK is that there is memo after memo that indicates both the CIA and the FBI had received advanced copies of both the Warren Commission report and the House Select Committee report and were given the right to change wordage and conduct redactions. The end result of both reports is that what the American people read were two reports that have been extensively edited and altered, altered by both the CIA and the FBI. One change it made that didn't come out in 2017 was that one witness didn't want to make any statements because he feared for his life. Clearly, the, both reports were just cover ups, whitewashes. Huge numbers of witnesses who had been called before the Select Committee on Assassination died shortly before they were to testify. And some of those were murdered while other deaths had been ruled a suicide. And those that had ruled a suicide, that decision was highly questionable. There was one case of a man shot behind the left ear who was right-handed. But it was immediately ruled a suicide before the investigation was started. Now, the Select Committee on Assassinations had the opportunity to peel back the cover-up like an onion and uncovered the, the truth, but that didn't happen. The people had been seeking the truth, wound up resigning, its funds were limited, it got cut short, and issued a report based on what it had. Now, they had been moving in the right direction, but they were stopped from arriving at any definitive conclusions. Now, there are a number of links from Watergate to the Kennedy assassination and in order to understand the links to US intelligence operations organized crime Watergate and the Kennedy assassination you gotta go back to when Richard Nixon was vice president under Eisenhower when Nixon was vice president he was put in charge of covert actions and covert military operations that's another uh, instance when the suits ran the military didn't make any difference if they had military experience right now we've got people who never served running running the Pentagon because it's woke don't you know Nixon became chairman of a committee called the 5412 committee which was involved in covert actions as it related to Cuba after Castro came to power in fact, the 5412 committee oversaw all covert actions being conducted by the CIA. Now, prior to Castro, Cuba was a vacation gambling mecca for the U.S. Santos Traficani had large interest in hotels and casinos, as did a number of other organized crime figures. When Castro took over, he closed down the casinos and gambling operations, and massive numbers of Cubans fled Cuba. A large number of those folks settled in Miami and started an anti-Castro movement to try to get Castro out of power. That's another sign of what happens when communism takes over. Now, there's a deep secret the general public doesn't seem to know much about that surfaces from time to time in issues like the The MENA airport scandals, the Iran-Contra affair, the murder of James Sabo at El Toto Air Station in California. And this has to do with the fact that in the mid-40s and mid-50s, U.S. intelligence created an alliance with organized crime to import drugs into the U.S. and obtain a scam off the top that was used to fund a lot of covert action programs. And in many cases, the transport of drugs has been conducted on return flights from various covert action action operations. Drugs from Southeast Asia was converted into heroin and then transported to Cuba for distribution in the U.S. Our own government was the biggest drug runner out there. During the time of the Pentagon Papers, a prominent lawyer by the name of Daniel Sheehan got involved in the case of Daniel Ellsberg. And Shim was able to obtain the complete contents of the Pentagon Papers. And he stated in the New York Times that there was a deep drug smuggling operation going on that was run by Theodore Shackley of the CIA out of uh, Southeast Asia. A senior Green Beret I got to know in South America I was, in fact, that when he took over command of the uh, Green Berets in Panama, I was there. And I interviewed him on my show in California years ago. And he made no bones about it. That uh, Shackley and a number of other senior CIA folks were the biggest drug runners on the planet. And the CIA used their cut of the operation to fund the Phoenix program. And what was the Phoenix program? It was an assassination program in Vietnam that involved over 20,000 political assassinations dealing with Southeast Asia. Now, Shackley went to Laos. At the time, there had been three competing organizations smuggling opium. By using bumper beepers that were covertly placed in the saddlebags of horses that transported the opium, Shackley was able to pinpointed travels of two of these operations and have them targeted and killed through air strikes. He eliminated two of the competing factions which then created a monopoly for the remaining faction. And his CIA covert operations were directly funded from a cut in the increase of funds created by this monopoly. According to Sheehan, this was an M.O. that had been going on since the mid-40s. Most of the insiders in Washington knew there was a connection between U.S. intelligence and drug smuggling. And to many folks, because intelligence obtained a huge cut, it's a necessary evil to not raise taxes on the average individual. Intelligence would smuggle drugs into the U.S. under intelligence and military cover. Everybody let it alone because, well, it was, a, it was for a good cause. If an investigation uncovered anything, the specific investigating agency was simply told to look the other way and stop the investigation. If you didn't play ball, your career was over. Sheehan claims that when he uncovered the drug smuggling operations of the Pentagon Papers, he went to Congressman uh, Otis Pike, who was in charge of the Pike Committee. And Pike told Sheehan in a meeting that if anybody was so naive they didn't know the CIA was involved in drug smuggling in Southeast Asia, they were too ignorant to function in Washington. That came from a congressman. And according to what Daniel Sheehan uh, has taught in his JFK assassination college course, the CIA set up its own airline called SEA Supply Corporation. And basically, it took drugs from Southeast Asia in a partnership with organized crime and flew them into Cuba for distribution into the U.S. And the funds used from the drug smuggling uh, self-funded various covert operations around the world. Now, this is hard to believe um, by many Americans. But there's a lot of documentation that proves it. Now, in the November 2017 release of files, there is a uh, CIA file titled, Memorandum for the Record, Traces on Santo Trapicante, from March of 1977. And this document appeared to be an attempt to trace funds. It talks about suitcases with false bottoms in them to transport cash that was sent from Cuba to Miami by diplomats. And it also very clearly states the CIA did not have a 201 file on Traficanti. Now, a 201 file is maintained on anybody who works for the government. In my particular case, mine vanished. Nobody will explain to me what happened to it. Well, the main point I'm trying to make is it wasn't just the casinos and the gambling that got shut down. The drug smuggling operation... That gave rise to such a sea of money for the CIA was also ended. It wasn't just the Mafia that lost large sums of money to Castro, but the CIA. Now, when Nixon was in charge of the Fifty Four Twelve Committee, contacted Howard Hughes to help the U.S. conduct covert operations in Cuba. Hughes, actually wanted to cover and created a program called Operation Desktop which was a secret anti-ballistic missile program. June of 1960, Nixon contacted uh, Howard Hughes and asked him to set up a covert operation to assassinate Castro. And Hughes turned to Robert Mayhew, who lived in Las Vegas. Mayhew was an ex-FBI agent turned private investigator who worked for the Las Vegas casino owners. And many believe he was uh, Hughes' alter ego. And Mayhew went to Johnny Rosselli, and Rosselli went to Santoro Traficante and Sam Giancana. Cuba was in Traficante's territory, don't you know? And these men set up a training program that became known as the S-Force. With Traficante helping to set up the details, Traficante was concerned, uh, concerned if the covert operation had exposed, the U.S. government would simply blame the mafia. He also felt as if there might have been a reasoning from powers within the government to blame organized crime in the first place. Traficante boxed in certain players in the operation to assassinate Castro so that if it became exposed, it would go back to Howard Hughes or Richard Nixon and the CIA. Traficante thought by setting it up this way. It, if it did become to expose the CIA and Richard Nixon would be forced to cover it up. Traficante picked the gunman from the this operation worked for him while he had Cuban operations going on, who were now working for the CIA. And in this fashion, he reasoned that if the operation got exposed, the CIA and the federal government would be forced to cover it back up. The task force contained a group of 15 anti Castro Cubans who were trained by Carl Jenkins, who had set up a training operation in Oaxaca, Mexico at a ranch owned by Clint Murchison Jr. S-Force practiced triangulation assassination attempts using old convertibles with pop-up watermelons in the back seat of the vehicles in the hills around the ranch. A de-identical plan used to assassinate Kennedy. Well, Traficante had his own men in the S-Force operation. There were Cubans who were gunmen who had worked for Traficante during the time he would had casinos in Cuba. Others were hand-picked by Traficante from covert anti-Castro Cuban training bases that the CIA had been funding. Among these secret bases was one uh, on no-name Key near Key West, Florida. Frank Sergis was in charge of that one. Another covert base was located in the Florida Everglades. P. Howard Hunt was running that. And there was another covert base in Lake Pontchartrain, Louisiana. Well, the complete list of, uh, S-Force operators is an interesting one. Rafael Chichi Quintero, Felix Rodriguez, Rolando Martinez, Raul Jorge Villaverde, Rafael Villaverde, Felipe Del Valvo, Richard Chavez, Jose Basterio Carre, also known as Roman Medina, Rene Corvo, Jorge Gonzalez, Wilkren Sanchez, Alvaro Cruz, Federico Sanz, Vilo González and Rodrigo Kent. Now, Quintero was born in Cuba and joined a resistance movement to try to overthrow Batista. After Castro came to power, he grew dissatisfied with Castro's regime and joined Malo. airtime in attempts to overthrow Castro. And, uh, you have to excuse the peanut gallery. Something got disturbed them, and they went into full guard mode. Well, in 1959, Quintero moved to the U.S., became a member of Operation 40. That was the anti-Castro movement to overthrow Castro. And in 1961, he entered, re-entered Cuba, just in front of the Bay of Pigs invasion, arrested by the Castro regime expelled from Cuba and joined a covert operation in Nicaragua that created an army of about 300 men whose goal was to invade Cuba. CIA funded it, of course. According to the British newspaper The Independent, Quintero was recruited by the CIA in covert operations to assassinate Castro using various means, such as an exploding cigar, poison shampoo, and a contaminated scuba diving wetsuit. Oh, they tried everything. They spent millions trying to assassinate uh, Castro. Now, in the 1970s, Quintero was recruited by Edwin Wilson to kill a Libyan dissident in Egypt. And according to uh, WikiSpooks, he picked uh, Raul Jorge Valdiverde and Rafael Valdiverde to carry out the assignment became part of the Iran-Contra affair and under the orders of Oliver Norris who set up and ran the arms for the Contras branch based on airstrips in El Salvador and Costa Rica. Uh, This operation was under the protection of military advisors, of course. Rafael Quintero denied being part of the Kennedy assassination team, stated he had lied when he told Gene uh, Wheaton he was. But according to SpartacusEducational.com, he was quoted as saying... uh, if I were granted immunity and compelled to testify about past actions about Dallas and the Bad Pigs, it would be the biggest scandal to ever rock the U.S. Well, he claimed on several occasions he worked in covert operations with Robert Kennedy and in attempts to topple Kestrel. 1966, he stated he had the good luck to become a friend of Bobby Kennedy. Now, that's never been confirmed, of course, but... Because of his involvement in the Iran-Contra affair, he's likely aware of or involved in drug-smuggling operations. He died in 2006 from kidney failure in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, taking his secrets to the grave. Well, if you go through each member of the S-Force, you'll find that they all had connections to the CIA, and most... um, were involved uh, in the um, the assassination of one or the other of the Kennedys now Rafael Villaverde and Raul Jorge Villaverde were arrested and charged of being part of a multi-million dollar cocaine drug smuggling operation in Miami with 51 other people Raphael Villaverde bonded out of jail and vanished on a fishing trip. boat exploded off the coast of uh, Florida. And Raul Vilaverde was murdered in June of 2002. So clearly, he knew more than some folks were happy with. Uh, V.L. Gonzalez is believed by many assassination researchers to be one of the shooters in the Daltex uh, building during the G- Kennedy assassination along with the Watergate burglar Eugenio Martinez. Gonzalez was a locksmith and specialized in covert entry. He was arrested as part of the Watergate break in. Then we got uh, Rene Corvo, arrested in July of 83 for violation of the Neutrality Act. He trained and armed a group of mercenaries to fight in Nicaragua. Now, men handpicked to be involved in the esque operation were flown from different bases to the Army base at Fort uh, Huachuca, Arizona. And once on that base, they simply vanished. Once their back trail was cut off, they were then flown to Oaxaca, Mexico, and stationed at the Clint Murchison Jr. Ranch for training. Now, as Vice President, Richard Nixon was getting ready to run for the presidency and basically running almost unopposed as a Republican nominee. Nixon and most people thought he would become the next president. And he planned an invasion of Cuba for a time period that would occur after he became president. He planned for Cuban exiles to go in first and announce that the U.S. recognized these people as the new democratic government of Cuba and send in the Marines. Uh, the idea was to publicly announce that a new democratic Cuba had been established and privately bring organized crime back into Cuba to reopen the casinos as well as reestablish Cuba as a port of entry for drug smuggling operations. Uh, best lead plans and mice and men don't always go according to plan because Kennedy became president and he refused to provide open military support with what became known as the Bay of Pigs invasion. As a result, it failed. Well, after the failure, of course, Kennedy felt he'd been conned into the operation by the CIA and publicly stated he was going to break it into a million pieces and scatter it to the winds. He ordered all covert action programs to be managed by the Joint Chiefs of Staff and cut the CIA budget by 20%, which infuriated everybody in the anti-Castro Cuban community. And during the Cuban Missile Crisis, he made a deal with Khrushchev that he promised no further invasion of Cuba in exchange for the removal of nuclear weapons the Russians had placed in Cuba. That further enraged the anti-Castro uh, community. They issued orders to shut down the covert operations against Cuba and shut down the covert bases of uh, anti-Castro Cubans. But they weren't shut down. Frank Sturgis and the Castro-Cuban team from No Name Key launched a covert operation on Cuba and sank a Russian ship. So Kennedy sent US agents to all three bases to shut them down and made arrests in No Name Key and at the Everglades base and then burned the bases to the ground. And this the really infuriated anti-Castro Cubans and a lot of folks in the military industrial complex. Well, on June 17, 1972, five men were discovered and arrested inside the Democratic National Headquarters in the Watergate Hotel Complex. And they had in their possession burglar tools, cameras, film, pen sized tear gas guns, and cash. They were Virgilio Gonzalez, Bernard Baker, James McCord, Eugenio Martinez, and Frank Sturgis. They were charged with attempted burglary and attempted interception of telephone and other communications. All five men had strong ties to the CIA. Well, on that note, we're going to end it for the day, and we will be back um, in our next show and talk more about the S-Force and a lot of the other groups that are still operational today, I might add. Until then, this is Ken Hudnell for the Ken Hudnell Show saying have a truly great evening.